Welcome to Victory with Paul Doherty, pastor of Victory in Tulsa, Oklahoma. If you're in the area, we'd love to meet you at any of our services. Saturday night at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 8.30, 9, and 11 a.m. If you can't visit us, you can watch live on the Victory app, downloadable on the App Store and Google Play. Pastor Paul has a great message for you today, and I believe this message is going to make an impact in your life. This world we live in can be very unforgiving. The things that burden you may be the very reason you were put on this earth. To build up the broken. Restore the rejected. This is your moment. This is your purpose. God has called you to live on mission. Come on, everybody say, on mission. We are starting a new series today called On Mission. The word mission in the Greek is translated sent, to be sent. In the English dictionary, it means to have an important task that you're going about. In fact, it actually means a calling, to be called to do something. When Jesus in the New Testament said, I am sending you out to his disciples, he said, I'm sending you out a sheep among wolves. I'm sending you out. The question they might have asked that you and I would ask is where? Where are you sending me? And Jesus would say, here. <laughs> and they'd say, wait, right here? Like in Israel, our neighbors, these people, the religious people right over there, the sinners right over there, the tax collectors. And Jesus said, yes, right here. And they would say, when? And Jesus would say, now. And they would say, how? And Jesus would say, live for God's glory. Live with God's purpose. Live with the divine focus. That's what it means to be on mission. And if there's one guy in the Bible that I think lived on mission, and such a great example for where we're at today, where you're at, where our nation is at, where our world is at in 2017 with hurricanes and wildfires and nuclear threats and all the stuff we're seeing and we're going, wow, this is the end times. What do we do during this season? How do we live? There is a guy in the Bible that gives us great clarity on how to live in 2017, how to live in our marriages and our families and our relationships, how to live in a world that's fallen, how to respond to the crazy things that are happening around us. And that guy is Nehemiah. So let's go to Nehemiah chapter one, verse one, the story of a man who lived during a crazy time. Israel was in captivity. By the way, this story is a trilogy. The story of Nehemiah is connected also with the story of Ezra and Esther. If you're trying to find the story of Nehemiah, it's a little bit before Psalms. You'll see it right in there. It's wrapped in the books of Ezra and Esther. And, it, and, and I wanna encourage you during this series, if, you're, if you love to study the Bible, how many of you guys like to study the Bible? Come on, we're a church that likes the Bible to study it. I encourage you to read these three books, Ezra, Esther, and Nehemiah. They're all connected around the same time in history. This is between the, the years of 500 and 400 BC. And so when this happens, this is really the final historical story that happens before the New Testament comes along. In fact, even though the prophets are, are uh, designated in the Bible after Nehemiah, they were actually written before Nehemiah. So Isaiah was written in 700 BC. 
But Nehemiah was recorded in 430 BC. So Isaiah prophesied what Nehemiah was gonna walk out. And, and we'll see that in the story. But we get to verse one, and it's, this is a memoir. Nehemiah is writing this story about his life, what he experienced during these years where Israel had something happen that was really supernatural. He says, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, it came to pass in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the citadel. And Hananiah, one of my brothers, came with men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, concerning the Jews who had survived the captivity, and concerning the state of Jerusalem. Nehemiah wanted to know what is the institutional reality? What's the truth? What's going on outside of where I'm at right now? You need to realize Nehemiah was living in a comfortable palace. He was a cupbearer to the king. He hadn't been to Jerusalem in a very long time. All the Jews were scattered. And right now, the Persian Empire was ruling the world. King Artaxerxes was the king, the same king that brought Esther in. This was that same king that had one night, you know, with Queen Esther. You guys might have seen that movie. Uh, how many of y'all saw One Night with the King that came out years ago? If you haven't seen it, it's a great movie on the story of Esther, Hadassah, and uh, Nehemiah was asking, what's going on outside of these walls? What's happening out there? Everybody say, what's happening out there? And so they gave him the report. They said, Nehemiah, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are in great distress and great reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and its gates are burned with fire. In other words, things are really bad out there, Nehemiah. People need help. People are ashamed. Our people are going through tough times. If you were to ask that same question, what's going on out there outside the walls of the church in America? There's hurricanes, there's wildfires, there's nuclear threats, there's political divisiveness, there's so much happening in our nation right now. We would have to be literally our heads buried in the sand to think that this is not a Nehemiah moment in the USA. So Nehemiah heard the news, he faced the facts. Faith won't fix what you won't face. If you, wanna, if you wanna see God do something great, you need to face the facts. Listen, we are all, we're, we're part of a word of faith church. We, we are faith people, but did you know faith people can also face the facts? Faith people aren't afraid to say, hey listen, the facts are, things, things don't look good out there. But you know what's even greater than those facts? We have a God in heaven that's greater than what's happening here on earth. And as we begin to pray, he's gonna give us the wisdom, the strategy, the power, the supernatural grace and help to rebuild what's broken out there. So faith is facing the facts, embracing the facts, embracing the truth of what's going on out there, and then saying, okay God, what do you want me to do? God, what do you want me to do? And so we go to verse four, and it says, when I heard these words, I sat down and I wept. Have you ever wept for what's going on out there? Have you ever wept when you watch the videos and the, the stuff on the news of the hurricanes, how it's affecting people, the social media clips of what's going on in certain parts of the world? Have you ever wept? for people out there, it says I wept, I mourned for many days, I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us today on what it means to live on mission. 
God, I pray that you would help us to leave today encouraged, refreshed, challenged, inspired, revived, God, convicted. Lord, show us the areas in our life, the walls that we're called to be a part of. Show us, open our eyes to see what you're up to right now in this hour and how you wanna use every single one of us in this room to make an impact for your glory. In Jesus' name, everybody said. How many of you guys got to watch the eclipse that happened a few weeks ago? Anybody get to watch the, the solar eclipse? How many of you guys missed it? Who missed it? Raise your hand if you missed it, <laughs> okay. Well, I, I missed it, but I was actually watching it. <laughs> I, I was watching it through the wrong glasses. I was wearing my normal sunglasses. I know you're thinking, those don't look like normal sunglasses. Those are Terminator sunglasses, I know. But I had my normal sunglasses. I got these at Walmart for two bucks. Thank you very much. They've outlasted all my other sunglasses. <laughs> when you have toddlers, you just get the cheapest pair of whatever because you know they're gonna step on it, take it, throw it somewhere. And so anyways, I got these sunglasses on. I'm staring at the sun outside for like five minutes. Ashley comes out. She goes, do you see it? I go, no, I'm looking right at it, but I can't see it. So she puts her sunglasses on. We're both just standing out in our front yard, just staring at the sun with our sunglasses. And we're texting friends, Where, how do you see it? Which angle are you looking at? Do you have to take your sunglasses off and just stare at it? And uh, anybody else wear the wrong sunglasses? Just me and Ashley? Okay, a few of us. <laughs> We're still maturing, okay? We didn't read the handbook on what to wear when the eclipse happens. I guess you guys had the information, the inside information. Share it with a brother. Come on, somebody. So we're, we're staring at it for five minutes. Finally, our neighbor, Jim and Jenny, they're a really sweet couple and grandparents, and they come across the road, and, and they're kind of laughing. They're going, you can't see it in regular sunglasses, Paul and Ashley. And we go, we can't? He said, no, you have to have the special glasses. You have to have the right glasses. We said, what are you, what are you talking about? We, we didn't even hear about this. He said, yeah, I mean, the people who were really prepared for it, they read online what to wear so they would know how to see it. We said, okay, all right, so what do we need to wear? And we found out you had to wear a pair of these glasses. How many of you guys had a pair of these right here? These were the right glasses to watch the solar eclipse. How many of you guys had a pair of these right here? Raise your hand, come on, somebody. So if you had the right glasses, you could see what the eclipse looked like. And in the same way, two people can be looking at the same thing and both have different perspectives. Both have a different response. Some person might be watching what's going on in Texas and Florida and say, man, it really stinks for those people that got hurt by the hurricane. I hope somebody helps them. I hope somebody gives a couple quarters in the offering to help the people that are hurting. One person might be watching what's happening in Tulsa, Oklahoma and see, man, there's a need for helping people that, that are in a, a lot of pain, helping people that have been affected by a lot of different things, helping reach people in different parts of our city where there's crime, where there's uh, bad things happening. Someone might say, man, I feel bad for those people. I hope somebody mentors those boys. I hope somebody helps that school out that's going through some really tough times. I hope somebody takes that family and I hope somebody does that while another person who's watching it with a different pair of glasses says, God, what would you have me do? And I'm telling you, your life is determined by your vision. It's based on what you see. Can you see what God wants you to be a part of? How do you see the problems of the world? Do you see the problems of the world as someone else's responsibility? 
Do you see the problems of our nation as the government's responsibility? Do you see the problems in our city as the pastor's responsibility? Or do you see the problems right in front of you as a divine platform for God to use you on mission to make an impact for such a time as this? In the midst of crisis lies great opportunity for those who have the vision to see it. In the midst of crisis lies great opportunity. How did Esther get written in the history books? Why is her name even there? She was a princess. She was a pretty girl. She, she knew how to wear makeup and get her hair up right. Listen, that's not what gets your name in the history books. It's when you step in the middle of a crisis and say, God, use me for such a time as this. And if I perish, I will perish. But I will perish knowing that I obeyed God in my generation and I served people for your glory. How did Joshua's name get recorded? It wasn't because he saw something great and forgot about it. It's because he held on to the vision and said, we can't stay here. We were not born to live in the wilderness. We were not born to stay camped out on this side of the Jordan. We were born to take the promised land. We must possess this land. Why did Moses end up in the history books? Why is Moses a remembered figure in the Bible? Why do we know so much about Moses? Because he had the vision to look at a problem, a problem of Jews that were in slavery in Egypt, Jews that did not belong in that place, Jews that had a calling to leave where they were at. And Moses said, God, use me. Even though I may not be a perfect guy, even though I may not have a perfect past, even though I may not speak the best, use me. If God can use Moses and God can use Esther and God can use Joshua, God can use you. Nehemiah wasn't a preacher. Zerubbabel was the guy that led the restoration there for the temple. Ezra was the guy that led the, the rebuilding of the worship. Nehemiah was an engineer. He wasn't building the church. He wasn't teaching people how to worship. He just knew where to put the bricks. And he said, God, I think I know how to help build what's broken. And if you're looking for the spectacular in the book of Nehemiah, you're going to miss the supernatural because there are no overt miracles. There are no blind eyes that get open. There's no dead people that get raised back to life. There's no deaf ears that are open. There's no limbs that grow out. And if you're looking for the spectacular, you're going to miss the supernatural because this book is about a group of people that needed a leader. And the leader was a guy who wasn't perfect. The leader was a guy who wasn't even living in their village, but he showed up. He used what he had. And in 52 days, they completed a task that should have taken years. Everybody say 52 days. I don't know how long this series is going to last, but 52 days sounds like a good idea. There's a lot to learn from this book. This book touches every part of our life. It touches how we lead. It touches how we love. It touches how we live. It touches how we treat our calling. It touches how we treat people. It touches how we respond to critics. It touches on the buy-in. It touches on persuasion. It touches on uh, living with divine assignment focus, not getting distracted by the wrong things. There's so much in this story. But Nehemiah was overwhelmed with a burden for these people. What burdens you? What is your wall? Turn to the person next to you and say, what is your wall? Nehemiah had a wall. He had something that he was focused on rebuilding. Nehemiah wasn't a pioneer. He didn't start the wall. 
Some of us in this life, God calls us to pioneer something. And many of us in this life, God calls us to get involved rebuilding something. This was the original fixer-upper. Before Chip and Joe Gaines came around, Nehemiah was the original Chip and Joe. <laughs> For some of y'all that just went way over your head, you're like, I don't know who Chip and Joe are. How many of y'all watch Fixer Upper? Anybody seen Fixer Upper? Great show. This was a major Fixer Upper. Israel was in shambles, ruins, and they needed someone who cared about restoring the glory of the city. God's looking for people who care about rebuilding what's broken. God's looking for people who can see what's happening in Texas, in Florida, in Tulsa, in the USA, in Washington, in California, in Montana, in Oregon, in Utah. People that can look at what's happening on certain places, in jails, in prisons, on Indian reservations, in youth groups, in children's churches, in public schools, in Christian schools, on the football field, in the doctor's office. God's looking for people who can step into places where walls have been breached and say, Lord, use me to lay a brick. Use me to help rebuild a broken life. Use me to help build up these teachers, build up these students, build up this marriage, build up this family. Use me to help these people. There was a couple in our church, Tim and Chantel Pettingale. Years ago, they were watching videos about the Tulsa Dream Center. Pastor Wendell was up here talking about how we could use some help, that there was some boys that were getting into trouble playing pickup games of basketball. They didn't have a team and didn't have a coach. And they really needed a mentor. In fact, many of these boys didn't have a father figure in their life. And some people heard it and said, man, I hope somebody helps. I hope somebody does something. I don't, I don't really have anything to give. Don't ever believe that. That's a poverty mindset. It is a poverty mindset when you say, I have nothing to give. God can use whatever you have to give. God can use your words. God can use your time, God can use your attention, God can use your prayers, God can use your finances, God can use your resources. You always have something to give. You either live with a lack mindset or you live with a blessed mindset. We're either sons or we're slaves, but how many of y'all know if we're children of God, we are sons and daughters and we always are blessed to be a blessing. We have something we can contribute to what God wants to do. Tim and Chantel, they heard they began to pray. This is what Nehemiah did. He prayed. Remember verse four, it says, so I prayed before God. In verse five, it says, I began to pray. And I, I said, Lord, you are an awesome and mighty God. You keep your covenant and your mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. Notice how Nehemiah is just magnifying the Lord. See, when we begin to magnify the Lord, the problems don't seem as big that the burdens don't seem unbearable. We start to realize God is bigger than the facts that I'm facing. God is bigger than the problem that's in front of me. God's bigger than the storm. He's bigger than the hurricane. The storm has to bow at the sound of his voice. God, you're an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. He raised from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. I remember years ago, I was in Oaxaca, Mexico, preaching at a Bible school for Dwayne and Sue Kirshner. They were members of this church, and God 
called them like a Nehemiah to Roca Blanca, Puerto Escondido, a place where there was major witchcraft. There was major darkness surrounding that southern part of Mexico. It was, in many cases, uh, the opposite of Cancun. Cancun had lots of money and lots of partying. This place didn't have much money but had a whole lot of wickedness going on. And they went to that place. They went to the darkness. Send me to the city. Send me to the walls. Send me to the problem. Send me to the broken people. Send me to the dark places, God. They went. And they started a church, a Bible school. Now a Christian school there, first through 12th grade. I remember going there about five years ago to preach, my wife and I. And the second day we were there, a Category 3 hurricane came out of nowhere, right off the Gulf of Mexico, and began to sweep around to the Pacific side there. And uh, no, 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 it wasn't the Gulf of Mexico. It was on the Pacific side. Yeah, because Oaxaca's on the Pacific side. So it came right up that side of the Pacific Ocean, right there on Oaxaca. And it began to just thrash against their base. Their base is right there next to the ocean. And I remember we were standing there and the waves were coming in. It was tearing down trees. The wind was blowing. And, and we were just praying. It was too late for us to get out. There was no... There was no way we were going to be able to get out of there. By the time we saw the hurricane coming, we had less than 24 hours to prepare. And so everybody was bunkered down right there on the base. And we began to sing this song. Our God reigns. Our God reigns. Forever your kingdom reigns. Our God reigns. Our God reigns forever. Your kingdom reigns. Hallelujah. 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 Our God reigns. As we begin to sing, Suddenly the storm, the hurricane was not as big as our God was. It was the presence of God that came in that room. And while the hurricane was thrashing against us, we were having a praise party. When you begin to praise God, the problem and the perspective of the problem becomes much smaller. And you realize, God, you can do anything. If we have to rebuild this wall, you can do it in 52 days. You have all the resources, all the power, all the finances. You are Jehovah Jireh. Whatever wall you're facing, whatever problem you're looking at, God is capable of solving it. God has given you the power to redeem and to restore. He will call you the repair of the breach. And so Nehemiah began to pray, God, you're awesome. I need to go back to the story of Tim and Chantel Pettingill. Sorry, get off on these rabbit trails. I like rabbit trails. <laughs> they begin to pray and God dropped it in their heart. Go and serve at the Dream Center. That is your wall. Chuck Swindoll wrote a book called Pass Me Another Brick. Pass Me Another Brick. It's about the story of Nehemiah. It was as if Tim and Chantel were saying, God, pass me another brick. Pass me another brick. And they began to mentor and coach and teach these boys. And they began to start a team. They called it the Dream Team. And more guys wanted to play, and so they started the Dream League. Now we're to the point where we have three basketball leagues at the Dream Center going on. Boys being mentored. Now, this past year, 
correct me if I'm wrong here, AJ, five of them are going to college. Five of them, first ones in their family to ever go to a university, four years, headed to college, because the last three or four years, this sweet couple right here on a Saturday night service decided, Lord, what would you have me do? How do you see the problems in the world? Do you see them as someone else's responsibility, or do you see them a platform for God to use you? Nehemiah began to pray, and I'm almost done, but I gotta finish this part out. He said, Lord, let your ear be attentive, your eyes open, that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servant. So he's praying for the people. I remember someone saying, you don't deserve to pastor people that you're not willing to pray for. You don't deserve to lead people that you don't cry for. I remember when I was in college, I just wanted to be a leader. I wanted to be a youth pastor. I was so excited. I was studying it, studying it. And just a word of caution to students out there, you can get all the knowledge in the world, but if you don't have the heart. Man, if you don't have the heart. I'd rather have heart over knowledge. I mean, knowledge is great. I'm thankful for my degree. But at the end of the day, it really comes down to getting the heart of Jesus inside you. For me, it came as I began to serve in our youth group and serve in our 9 a.m. children's church service. And I just remember those boys and girls, those teenagers. I remember riding the bus to Skyatook. I was a bus captain for two years under one of our youth pastors. And I remember going to Skyatook to pick these teenagers up, bring them to youth service. I remember one night we were driving back after dropping them off and it was a late night. It was a 30 minute drive from Skyatook High School back to the 24 seven building, 81st in Delaware. And I just remember having tears going down, going, God, if I could do this the rest of my life, I would be happy. I'd be happy just to help people, help teenagers know Jesus. I wonder what breaks your heart. I wonder if you've lost the gift of tears. There's a true story about a girl named Erin Gruwell. She was a teacher of an inner city public school. She had graduated from a prestigious university, had options to go and teach at very prestigious schools. But she turned them all down to go and teach at the poorest school in this inner city. She wrote a book called The Freedom Writer's Diaries. Later, they made a movie about her called Freedom Writers. When I was in college, one of my professors said, we all need to watch this movie because it helps us to discover the power of purpose, knowing what you were born to do. And I remember watching it and this girl is, I mean, she is giving her all to teach these students. She's doing all kinds of out of the box ways and methods of teaching these students and caring for these students and they don't care at all. Pushing her up against the wall, you don't belong here. You're terrible, you don't fit in here. We don't even like you. They would say the meanest things to this girl as she was trying to teach them. It would break her heart. In the movie, it showed her just crying, weeping for these students. They were her wall. In this one moment, her dad sits her down and says, honey, you don't have to go through all of this. You don't have to, you don't have to deal with this. You, have, you should be making so much more money. As your father, I'm concerned for your well-being. You do not need to be teaching in this school. And the daughter looked at her dad with tears in her eyes. She said, dad, I was born for this. I was born for these students. 
I would give my life for these students. And her dad looked at her. Finally, it clicked. He said, you've been blessed with a burden. Honey, you've been blessed with a burden. I'll never forget that. Some of you have things that you do that don't make sense to anybody else. But God has blessed you with a burden. And you do it whether you got paid anything or you got paid nothing. You do it if you got celebrated every week or you do it if nobody thanked you ever because you've been blessed with a burden. Some of us may not understand this. We say, well, I thought I'm not supposed to carry burdens. I thought God carries burdens for me. But Matthew 11:28 says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. It doesn't say you won't have a burden, but the burden you carry won't be overbearing. I'm going to give you the grace for the burden I put on your heart. If I call you to build the walls, I'm gonna give you the resources to build the walls. If I bless you with the burden for these people, I'm gonna give you the leadership to lead these people. If I call you to a broken down place. So Nehemiah is getting the heart, he's praying and he begins to confess their sins. It starts with concern, it leads to compassion, then to confession and saying, God, we've sinned and, and we've fallen short. But Lord, remember your promise. Go to verse eight. He says, remember, remember what you said, that you would uh, bring people back. Verse nine, he says, Lord, you said you would bring those and gather them back from the, the farthest places. In verse 10, you said you would bring them now and redeem them by your great power, by your strong hand. Verse 11, oh Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant, to the prayer of your servant who desire to fear your name. Keep going. And let your servant prosper this day, I pray. Grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. Keep going. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and I gave it to him. Now, I had never been sad in his presence before. But in this moment, something was different. Go to verse, there we go. Therefore, the king said to me, why is your face sad? I know you're not sick. This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid. It's not bad to have moments where you're afraid, where you're overwhelmed, where the tears are too big to carry. Those are the moments where God's saying, I want you to get involved. I'm asking you to turn your fear into faith. Turn your pessimism into purpose. Stop just talking about the problems. Stop just praying God's gonna fix the problems. Say, God, use me to solve the problem. Lord, send me to be a part of the solution at the Dream Center in the hurricane relief. Use me, use my business. Lord, use our truck. Use what we can bring. Use my energy. Use my family. Use my marriage. Use me where you have me. Send me, God. I want to live on mission. And watch what happens next. Nehemiah says, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies in ruins? Its gates are burned with fire. And the king said to me, what do you want? What do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Guys, I'm telling you, prayer is so powerful. Prayer is the key. Prayer is the secret weapon to the problem that you're facing. If there's a wall in front of you and you don't know how to rebuild it, begin to pray. Pray. Everybody say, pray first. Before you react, before you respond, before you say no, before you say yes, before you move forward, pray. Prayer is more important than how much you're going to make. Don't ask the question, well, am I, am I, are they going to pay me enough? Say, Lord, do you want me to do it? 
do you want me to do it? Because that's more important than anything else. I have felt so impressioned by the Holy Spirit on this whole series. God is stirring some of you up to be a part of rebuilding the wall. The night my father passed, I heard God speak to me. Paul, serve your mom and serve this church. And get ready because the day is coming where you're going to step in as the pastor of these people. There's something about the Nehemiah story that just grabs my heart, grabs my attention. Nehemiah wasn't laying a new foundation. The foundation was solid. But he was rebuilding some areas of the wall that had been breached. I remember serving my mom. Mom, what do you need? I heard God say, whatever your mom needs, you say yes. For those five years, you say yes. No matter how many extra hours you work, no matter what you have to do, just say yes. So I remember my wife and I, we sat down, we prayed. That was our wall, to just say yes, to help my mom, whatever she needed in the church. If it meant that we had to step down from leading our college ministry to help her with other parts of the church, we did it. It wasn't easy. There were times where we said yes because we knew that was part of the wall. Then when the day came, didn't my mom do a great job leading our church during that time? Some of y'all that were here might remember. I'm almost done. Then the time came where she said, Paul, it's time for you to step in as pastor. You and Ashley, it's time for you to step forward. And I remember just reflecting on the story of Nehemiah. Because I knew there's parts of the wall that we have to continue to build on. Pass me another brick. God's not finished with this house yet. The foundation is solid, but how many of y'all know God has so much more for where we're headed? Come on, how many of y'all believe God wants to keep on building this ministry to touch this city and to touch the world? Why are we starting a downtown campus? Pass me another brick. Why did we launch Victory Manford? Pass me another brick. Why did we start the Champions Club? Pass me another brick. Why are we doing more and more as a ministry? Why are we helping with hurricane relief in Texas? Pass me another brick. We've been blessed with a burden, and it is a glorious burden to carry. I'd rather carry this burden than carry any other burden, but God has a burden for you. God has a wall for you, something he's called you to be a part of, like Tim and Chantel, or like Sherry Lyle in Cambodia. Did I tell that story in this service? Sherry Lyle was in this church and she was watching what was happening in Southeast Asia, a single woman. And she knew maybe God's calling on her was to give up the luxuries of living in the United States, possibly even give up maybe the dream to get married because she was overwhelmed with a burden. She was blessed with a burden for these kids and these girls that were caught in sex trafficking in Cambodia. So she moved to Phnom Penh and she began to minister. White Lotus was the name of this ministry that she began to take these kids in, these minors that had been trafficked in Cambodia. I remember going there 10 years ago with my sister and brother-in-law and we were there in the room and Sherry's just crying, talking about, this is, this is Natasha, this is so-and-so, this is 
This girl, she was taken from her village when she was five years old. And for 10 years, she lived in the darkest places. She was forced to do the most horrendous things. But Jesus showed up through a girl named Sherry Lyle. Pass me another brick. Oh, Jesus. Sherry got involved and she started bringing these girls off the streets, started delivering them from these horrendous trafficking venues where they were trapped by pimps that were selling them every night to multiple men. And she would pull these girls in and say, God's got a plan for you. He loves you. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He's not finished with you yet. Your best days are still in front of you. Pass me another brick. Sherry works tirelessly every year ministering to these girls. It is her wall. She is the Nehemiah in that place. God's called you to a wall. God's given you something to build, someone to pour into. For some of you, it might be your family. Maybe the breach, the wall has been breached in your house. Maybe the fixer-upper is your marriage. If you're really honest, if you were to face the facts, because faith won't fix what you won't face, if you were to face it, say, honestly, the wall needs to be repaired in my marriage. The wall needs to be repaired between me and my son, between me and my spouse, between me and that person. Maybe the wall is a relationship. Maybe the wall is your integrity. Maybe the wall is your purity. If you were really honest, there's areas where you've allowed the, the temptations of the world to overwhelm you and the wall has been breached. So to rebuild the wall is for you to go to a discipleship program like Victory Men's Discipleship and begin working on areas in your heart and your character and your integrity to start a connect group. There's things God's called you to do. So Nehemiah asks the king, after he prays, go to verse, verse five. He says this, if it pleases the king, if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah. Everybody say, send me. Come on, say it like you mean it. Send me. Say, send me. He was saying, send me to the problem. Send me to the crisis. Send me to Judah. Send me to broken down places. Send me to the ruins. Send me to the place that needs help. Send me to the boy that needs a father. Send me to the marriage that needs rebuilding. Send me to that program. Send me so that I may rebuild. Stand to your feet all over this room today. I believe this series is gonna be one of the most powerful series we've ever focused on. Everyone has a wall. Everyone has something God has given you, a divine distraction, a divine burden, something that he's saying, pay attention to that. That's your wall. He's your wall. She's your wall. This marriage is your wall. It needs repairing. It needs rebuilding. It's not gonna be easy. It's gonna take work. It's gonna take effort. It's gonna take honesty. Honesty is the key. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. I used to work, some of y'all don't realize this, I used to work for a real estate company when I was in college for a few years and I was the fixer-upper guy. I was not good at what I did. It didn't last long. They had to let me go. But they would send me to houses they were trying to flip. This group of investors, they would send me to go and fix up the house. They'd give me the paint, the paint brushes. <laughs> They give me all kinds of tools and I had to knock out walls and mow yards and paint places and fix it up. There was a part of it though that I really, really liked seeing something change for the better. I wasn't the best at it, but seeing something change for the better. 
God has called you to see something change for the better. He's given you the tools. He's given you the heart. Don't miss the wall. Don't miss the moment God's asking you to be a part of. I'll tell you one last story. There was a guy six years ago that moved to Tulsa, far away from here. He said, Paul, I've always, I've wanted to meet you for a little while. He said, I watched your dad's funeral online. I streamed it from my computer from far away from Tulsa. And he said, I remember seeing you step on the stage and talk and share your heart. And he said, something inside me began to break for your family. You were my wall. I began to pray for you. And I knew one day you'd be the pastor. And he said, so God called me to move here, to be a part of whatever you guys need. Every week, this guy prays for me. Oftentimes, he's encouraged me. He says, don't, you don't have to ever mention my name from stage, but just know I'm praying for you. Pass me another brick. I'm part of building this wall. God has something, someone, some sort of thing, some sort of project, some wall that he's calling you to be a part of. Don't underestimate what he's asking you to do. Whether it's in Cambodia or the Tulsa Dream Center or right here, whether it's in the Champions Club or in Victor Christian School, Victor Bible College, Bixby High School, Sepulpa, Skyatook, Glenpool, Broken Arrow, Edison High School, Jinx, Union, whether it's at your company, whether it's a group of people, whether it's in your family, in your marriage, whether it's with your dad, with your mom, with your son, whatever it is, there's a wall for you. Thank you for listening to Victory with Paul Doherty. If you're in the area, we'd love to meet you at any of our services. Saturday night at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 8.30, 9, and 11 a.m. If you can't visit us, you can watch live on the Victory app, downloadable on the App Store and Google Play. Remember, your best days are right in front of you.